Welcome back to another episode of the Next Level Minds podcast. My name is Chris Chapman, and I am your host. And if this is your first time tuning in, this is a podcast for those who want to reach a next level in their business, personal, or career life. And speaking of a next level, I want to introduce you to Magic Mind, which is the world's first productivity drink. Lately, I've been experiencing a ton of brain fog, lack of focus, and just a general tired feeling. I've tried coffee, caffeine pills, and more, and personally, none of that has really worked for me. I'm glad I got introduced to Magic Mind because it's been keeping me at a next level ever since. It's got all these natural ingredients in it like matcha, which gives you energy, adaptogens, which helps you relax, honey, which keeps you happy, and nootropics, which help you with focus. My favorite ingredient is L-theanine because that helps you with your focus and attention, and you can find that ingredient in Magic Mind. I've been taking it for over a month, and I can feel a huge difference in my productivity. I have more focus, my attention is better, and I've just seen a general increase in my cognitive function. Right now, I have a 40% off code to share with the listeners of Next Level Minds, and that code is NEXT20. To use it, you can go to magicmind.co slash next. And then enter in the code NEXT20 to get 40% off of your order today. Now, on to today's guest. I am sitting down with Chris Singleton. He's a former MLB athlete, the author of two children's books, a speaker who's had the chance to speak to Microsoft, Boeing Company, and countless professional sports teams. He's a coach. He's the owner of Love Your Neighbor Brand, and he recently just started Champion Tribe with my good friend Ryan Cass. Chris has an amazing story that I won't spill the beans on because I want him to personally tell it to everyone listening. Some of y'all that are from Charleston may have heard of his name, so I'm definitely glad to be sitting down with him today. And as always, thank you to everyone who's taking the time to listen to Next Level Minds. Let's go ahead and jump into today's episode. Chris, thanks so much for hopping on the uh, Next Level Minds podcast, man. I appreciate it. Man, grateful to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, this is uh, this has been a long time in the works for me because I know we met at Ryan's Mastermind, like the first one he did back in February. I was like, I got to get Chris Singleton on the podcast. And now we're sitting in like July and we've got it happening. So, Absolutely, man. So I'm glad, I mean, I'm glad to be on. I know you've been rocking and rolling with this thing. So it's an honor. Yeah, shout out to uh, Maddie Grace, I believe, uh, for helping us get this arranged. She came in with the clutch with all that. So, yeah, she's been uh, helping me out for like two years now, and she's like my assistant. But really, she's like the if I'm the president, she's the VP. She does like everything for me on the back end. So, for sure, yeah. she's dope. I feel like it's one of those things. Like without her, like you don't know what would be happening. I mean, she's probably keeping everything together, right? Yeah, man, I honestly don't like to look at my calendar too much because it's like it sounds dumb even saying this, but I travel so much that it would literally give me some anxiety seeing that I'm traveling like 21 different cities in one month. Like it, you know, so, you know, just August is a crazy month for me, you know, so literally 21 different places and what is it, 30 days in August? I don't even know, 31. Wow. So this is a crazy month. Yeah. Is that like a record month for you? Uh, February's are usually crazy. August are usually crazy. Um, school starting back, uh, in August. So I do a lot of stuff with yeah. teachers and professional development with educators and school districts. And then February is pretty insane because of the black history month and yeah, you know, my, my push with that. 
I got to ask how many, how many airline miles you rocking with like all that travel and everything. <laughs> yeah, man. So, so far, you know, we're a little bit over half a year, but about, uh, 79 flights so far Wow. this year. And, um, I think we're at 200 and some thousand airline miles. So yeah, racking them up for sure. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's funny. Um, so kind of first question I want to, I want to ask you, which I think you'll be able to give a good background based on this question is, uh, kind of the why behind what you do. You know, I've heard you talk about the, the five different numbers, um, and what that really means for your, your day-to-day operations. So I'd love if you could just take it from there. Yeah, man. So, you know, there's some people who, who, who say they want to do something as a kid. There's some people that say, Hey, I want to be an astronaut since they were three. There's some people that say, Hey, I want to be a professional baseball player like I did. And then sometimes life hits you and it changes the path that you're on and it, you know, drives you. It makes you more passionate about what you're doing. And that's exactly what happened with me. My mom, who's my, uh, who's my, my biggest fan. She's now an angel, but, uh, I lost her in a very, very tragic way. Back in 2015, uh, on June 17th, there was a guy who said he wanted to start a race war in this country. And he was so fixated on starting a race war in this country that he actually, you know, murdered nine people in my church. It's a historically black church in Charleston, South Carolina. And you know, he took my mom's life and aired their lives. And man, you know, Chris, after, after that, my life changed completely. It was no longer just about me getting to the big leagues, playing baseball. It was about, hey, how can I stop racism from happening? How can I use my voice to to lift people up and get through, get them through the tough times? Because that's what I was going through. So let me ask you this from obviously that very, very, very unfortunate event happened. I mean, I remember I was living in Charleston during that whole uh, situation. How, at, what was the kind of the time frame of like the event happening to now? All right this is what I want to do. I mean, was it like a couple of days, a couple of months? Cause that's obviously a tragic situation. So. Nah, man, great question. So for me, I didn't even want to become a speaker. Like I didn't think, I didn't even know that was a thing. First of all, you know, I didn't know like people get paid to speak or they travel around speaking. I didn't, I just saw like YouTube videos of people that I liked, but um, I think it was about a year after I lost my mom, I had already done like an ESPN, ESP, mm-hmm. uh, ESPN E60 is what it's called. Um, documentary. And that was on like today's show. I was on uh, like CNN and Fox and all these different things and Lifetime uh, TV channel. And so people started asking me to speak. And at first I started saying, no, I'm not doing it, not doing it until about a year and a half after I lost my mom. So it was in 2016 that I finally said, you know what, this, you know, you want me to speak? I'll do it. Um, and I, you know, I sucked back then, but I just spoke from the heart <laughs> Yeah. and I feel like everybody, when you start something, you're not, you're not great at it, but when you're passionate about it, you know, people see that it's genuine and, uh, I'm grateful that it's grown to where it is now. And I can make the impact that I dreamt of making when I first started speaking. Yeah. What, what was that first speech like for, I mean, were you just super nervous type of thing or. Yeah. Anybody that says they're not nervous when they first start speaking is lying. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because I was, I was terrified. I was, uh, you know, I was speaking at this, this event and it was for NFL moms, NBA moms, um, NHL moms. And I took the event cause I figured my mom would be in the audience if I made it to the big leagues. Mm. And so the coolest thing though, Chris, when I got on stage, the lights were so bright that I couldn't see anybody in the audience. And so all the nerves just washed away. I didn't have them anymore because I literally couldn't see anybody. Plus, I had practiced my speech only 250,000 times before then, right? I think it was like a 
10 minute speech, I want to say, after I won this award. And so I had my family, I had my wife with me, not my family at the time, but just my wife back in 2016. Well, she was my girlfriend then. She wasn't even my wife yet, but had her with me. And then uh, after the event, Lady said, Chris, I know you're playing ball, but you got to keep doing this, man. And I sure did. Yeah, man, that's uh, that's obviously great. You had the support system there too. And uh, it's funny too. I think like everyone gets nervous when they speak and they think they're the only one, but it's like, no, everyone else was at once just as nervous as you are, if not more, you know? Sure, man. I don't really get nervous anymore just because yeah. I've done it so much. But when I first started, dude, I used to be terrified. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. It didn't um, even matter if I was speaking to like second graders. It didn't matter. I was just nervous. <laughs> and, and obviously, like, they're not picking up on all the cues and like they don't know what you might be messing up on. But that's funny. Um, what, what, like, do you have a speech number that you had where you're like, all right, I'm not, I'm not nervous anymore? Like, or did it just kind of come naturally? Man, you know, I'd, I'd probably say, Ah oh, man, I just I feel like I just stopped getting nervous maybe like last year. So I would okay. the ner- it used to be where I was nervous and it's like, hey man, I feel the butterflies in my stomach, like you know, short breaths, like I'm really nervous. And then it became like, wow, okay, let's go. It's time. Get nervous, butterflies. And then it's just just slowly drifted away to like, hey man, I hope I do a great job on this. Not even nervous, nervous really, but just make sure I study the audience before I go on stage and stuff like that. Just little nuances I've learned as a speaker and, and, you know, now it's just, uh, once I'm prepared, I feel like, Hey, there's nothing else you can do. Just go yeah. out there and, and speak from the heart. So I'd probably say maybe a hundred, hundred speeches and I became like super comfortable. Yeah, for sure. And I think I like that you mentioned speech, uh, speak from the heart. I think that really separates you apart. Right. I think a lot of times people may just get up there and talk. Uh, they may be just trying to sell something like a book, a course, something at the end of the day, but I have seen a lot of speeches. I can personally tell the difference between folks like you who are speaking from the heart and just somebody who's up there trying to sell something. So I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah, everybody can. Well, most people can usually see the difference, right? When somebody's like, you know, they're up there pitching their whatever it is versus, hey, I'm really trying to change the hearts of my audience. So in 2015, how, how old were you at that time? I was 18. Wow. Okay. So you were, you, you had just finished up uh, high school, right? Or yeah, I was actually a freshman in college, man. Just finished up my freshman year in college at CSU, right? Yeah. Nice. How, okay. So how, how did you uh, kind of just learn to be like the man of the household real quick? Um, and I want to ask that question because whether somebody lost somebody in the household or maybe a divorce happened, whatever it is, like how can people listen and step up and be the man of the household? I mean, what were some of your learning lessons there? Yeah. Well, number one, I think there's, there's moments in life where we sink or swim. Mm. Um, there's moments in life where you say, Hey, you know, crap at the fan. I've been thrown in the deep end. I don't have tons of, tons of, you know, swimming lessons or whatever it may be. Uh, but that separates people that say, Hey, I'm going to survive this no matter what, because I made a promise to myself and others that I'm going to survive. And there's some that say, Hey, it may just be a little bit too much. And I, they back away from the challenge for me. I needed to have my brother and sister in the house with me. Mm. Um, so I was 20 years old, basically taking care of two teenagers uh, right after I got drafted by the Cubs. Um, and it was tough, man. I'm not going to lie and say it was easy because, you know, that's just phony. You know, I'm, I was basically a teenager trying to take care of teenagers. And I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't even know, like, you know, with, with bills, I was learning everything as it was going. Um, it was definitely, definitely difficult. But the, the beauty in it was I knew that by learning all that stuff, it would make my life easier in the future. I knew that by staying with my family, 
you know, we could all lift one another up. We had a very close family after we lost my mom. We were close before, but trauma sometimes brings people even closer or divides them even more. And we definitely came together. Um, and so just trial and error, man. There was no perfect formula, but just knowing that, hey, I'm doing this for everybody's best interest. Yeah. Yeah. I like that you broke down. I mean, there's obviously two different things that could happen. You could sink or swim. Um, you obviously stayed up, uh, which is why you're sitting where you are today type of thing too. So, uh, when you played for the Cubs, how long was that for? Yeah, I played about two seasons in the minor leagues with the Cubs. So drafted in 2017, got released in 2019. Yeah. Do you have any lessons behind that? Um, and I know you've pretty much been playing baseball your whole life too. So. Yeah. Well, number one, I think every athlete needs to know who they are, not just what they do. And I think it's professionally too. You know, once you start really getting into something, some people have been working at, you know, Volvo for 20 years and they're like, Hey, what, who are you, man? Hey, I, I work at Volvo or who are you? I'm a baseball player. I've even got a really good friend of mine who's, you know, transitioning from being a baseball player to figuring out what he's going to do next in life. And he doesn't really know who he is a whole lot. He just knows he loves the sport of baseball he loved playing, not just the sport. So uh, there's a difference between loving it just to, as a fan and loving it as maybe a career uh, outside of in between the lines. And there's a difference between like that and like actually loving playing the game. And he just loved to play the game. And so we're trying to figure out, hey, what's next? Because we know what you did, but who are you, man? And so that's some advice I want people to know. Like, hey, make sure that you know who you are outside of your sport. And uh it was fun. We traveled around the country, man. I didn't make any money doing it. I was making like 1200 bucks a month before tax. Um, so I really wasn't wow. banking before any tax? money. Before tax? Oh and dude, God. we only made that for like eight months out of the year. Wow. Yeah. So it was a grind. You're not, you're not, you're living off your signing bonus, really. So the Cubs gave me a hundred grand basically. And Uncle Sam punched me in my gut and took 35 of it, you know? So I was living off the rest of that. Um, put some away for a house for my family and then, uh, you know, living off the rest of that. So it was definitely grind, but I wouldn't trade it for the world. Yeah. Is the hopes, cause I'm not as familiar with baseball. I mean, obviously I watch baseball, but I didn't grow up playing it or anything. I was playing soccer, uh, with, with baseball. Is it the goal to kind of go through different minor leagues and then eventually get up to full MLB? Is that kind of why people go through the whole 1200 a month type of thing? <laughs> yeah, man. So, you know, if you, if you sign in the first round and you get a $3 million signing bonus, you know, you get 2 million of that or 2.5 of that or whatever you get, you know, you're living off that, which is really, really easy to do. But once you get to like the 15th, 19th, 20th, 30th round, you know, you're not getting a big signing bonus. So you really have to have family support to help you out to chase your dream. You want to go from rookie ball to single A to, uh, to, to high A to double A to triple A, then you get to the majors. Mm. <laughs> so you're grinding, really trying to get through those levels quickly um, and so that's, that's the hopes behind why people do it. And, you know, there's some 19, I was 19 rounder. There's some 21st rounders that are in the big leagues. I got a buddy of mine named Chaz McCormick playing center field for the Astros right now. And he was like a 20th round pick as a senior. So it's definitely doable, but it's, def it's for sure a grind. Yeah. Is river dogs, are they triple A? No, they're only single A. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Is that the same with Charlotte Knights? Do you know, I, I guess. Charlotte Knights, they're triple A. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Okay, cool. Um, so you have two books, right? I, well, I've got three now. Yeah. You got, got three. three. Okay. What, what are those three? So my first one's called different, a story about loving your neighbor. My second one's called your life matters. 
And my third one is called Baseball Around the World. Is that the newest one that you just wrote? Yeah, man. Just just released. Nice. And different was that that's your first book ever written, right? Correct. Nice. So what what was kind of the process behind getting that book out? Um, I don't know. Did you always want to be a writer? You said you never really thought about being a speaker and stuff. So what was that like? No, man, actually, I would, you know, I would speak to a lot of high schools. I would speak to some colleges, uh, some companies, but I never spoke to like small kids. And I would always get asked, hey, Chris, can you come to the elementary school? And I would say, man, my my story is so sad. I don't want to tell these kids my story, man. I lost my mom to gun violence while she was praying in church, right? I don't think that's something I want to tell to, you know, seven-year-old little kids. It'll take away their innocence. But I do have this mission, this message of, of unity, and so I started thinking, how can I share this message without being so, uh, without telling all the details, I should say. And uh, children's book was the answer. And so like most people, I said, I wanted to write a children's book and didn't know what I was doing, but I asked a million people a million questions, got connected with my editor out in California, who's actually my publisher now, but back then he was just my editor. I said, hey man, I'm going to do this book. I don't have a publisher. I'm going to self-publish it. And he said, Chris, I believe in you, man. You you can do it. So I printed a thousand copies, hoping to sell a thousand. And we sold it like 1500 in the first six hours. Wow. And it just, yeah, it just exploded, man. Different celebrities started to share it. The Obama Foundation put it on their platforms. And uh, I think we're probably at like 40,000 copies sold now over the last like two years. Wow. That's awesome. And I'm sure you were just like, oh, let me just get a thousand copies. Hopefully I can sell all of them. To- <laughs> now you're at 40,000. Exactly. I remember, I remember vividly, we used to have packing parties because if you're not like a big company and you get a thousand person order, like that's a lot of orders you got to package up yourself. And so I didn't mm-hmm. have an assistant at the time. That was right before I hired uh, Maddie Grace. And so me and my family, we'd be in there. And we'd be packaging stuff, right? Just packaging it, boom, packaging, packaging. And at one point I was like, man, I'd rather pay, or I'd rather get paid less by these books and let Amazon do it. Like I I was just like, I'm sick of this, man. <laughs> and so by like order number probably 5,000, I was like, man, we got to figure something out. So we used to have these big packing parties with just books everywhere in my house. Everybody's helping out. I'd buy somebody, I'd buy family members food and we just, go to town for like four hours straight and uh, ship them all out in my truck the next week. So it was fun, man. But it was, it was uh, some, looking back on it. That was some, some memories I'll, I'll have forever. So I, I assume you're not doing that anymore, right? You kind of outsource the, the whole book packaging. Yeah, man. So I, I've got a, um, a team of people. My publisher does it. You know, we've got a warehouse up in Ohio now. I've got a book, sh- uh, book printer out in California that helps me out. And then uh, Maddie Grace on the back end for me kind of sorts through all the details for me now. Yeah. Are they, so all three books are, are geared towards children, correct? Yeah. So they, they all are. The baseball book is really for anybody because it teaches about baseball in different countries. And mm. I guarantee everybody doesn't know all the statistics and the different uh, facts in that book. You know, one of them being in South Korea, they love to eat fried chicken during the games, you know, nobody wow. knows that, but we we're, we're just learning about baseball around the world, how the world plays a game. So, um, yeah, it's first two are definitely for children, but the last one could be for anybody. Yeah. Do you have a goal to get a, a book out there kind of geared more towards adults and personal development and all that? Or. Yeah, I actually signed a book deal. Um, and I need to have 40,000 words, uh, by January. And I'm uh I'm at like five thousand, so it's really oh, really wow. hard for me to do. <laughs> yeah. So 
it's it's been a grind. Um, but I love it, man. Anything that's tough, like it's it's probably worth it in the in the long run. So I've been chipping away. Um, this book deals a small publisher, a lot in the education space, but it's neat, man. It's pretty cool. Yeah, is it revolved around personal development and a lot of stuff you talk about as well, or? Yeah, it's actually revolved around a uh, unity, my message of unity, man. So nice. it's called Stories Behind Stances, um, and I think that's the, the 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 title I'm gonna go with. I'm not 100 sure yet, but it's about how behind every single you know stance that people take is a story behind it. And I truly mm. believe empathy is created when we hear one another's stories um, and why people think the way that they do. Because it's not by accident why one person loves something and the next person doesn't. There's a reason. There's a reason behind it. So I think we'll be united when we kind of talk about those reasons. So I'll get into some of that stuff throughout the book. Yeah, it's funny you say that too because I think obviously everyone has their differences. People raise different ways. You have different ways you perceive things. But I think like at the end of the day, like everyone is human and like you have that in common. Um, and I mean, prime example for me was I was at a Toyota dealership. I, sh- I think I shared this story a few episodes ago, but I met this guy who like, we were polar opposite. I mean, he was from middle nowhere, South Carolina. I'm from the suburbs of Mount Pleasant. He was this older black guy and him and I just literally talked for like two hours, come from polar opposite backgrounds. We were both waiting for a car and like, we still keep up on the phone every now and then. And I'm like, dude, this is like, I just wish like we could put this on the news, how me and this guy polar opposite backgrounds are like talking about life and work and goals and all that. I mean, I think that was such a cool story. So. Yeah, I might, I might actually put you in my book. So (laughs) I think that's really neat. I think that's cool, man. So Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, yeah. You know, we need more of that, man. For sure. And it's like, I feel like there's countless stories out there that that no one's really broadcast. So I just personally wanted to bring that up, of course. Um, I've heard you talk on Ryan's podcast about like making goals visible. Um, you can see behind me, this is strictly audio, but you can, we're obviously doing video. I got goals back there behind me. So uh, can you kind of talk about that a little bit? Absolutely, man. And so, you know, you mentioned Ryan. Uh, Ryan is one of my very, very, very good friends and now business partners, because I remember first time I walked into his house, I've always thought I've been different the way that I'm wired. Like I've just always, I've never said I want to do something without trying to do it. I'm not a person that says, Hey, you know, I want to, you know, do this and doesn't try. I'm just not built like that. And so to see when I walked into Ryan's house and I just got done reading this book called wealth can't wait, Mm. um, and the guy who, who wrote this book said, hey, write out your perfect year. What does a perfect year look like you, for you? And so I had this hanging on my wall, what the perfect year looks like for me and my family. And I walk into Ryan's house and he's got his goal board up there. And I'm like, dude, I don't know who you are, but we need to connect like ASAP. Because I was just actually hanging out next door at a friend's house. Um, and so since then, we hit it off. And I think it's like you're 70% more likely to accomplish a goal if you write it down and tell somebody about it, Right. And so when we talk about the goals, dreams, and aspirations that we have in our lives, we're not just trying to, you know, live life. I, I want to actually thrive and experience the things that happen in my life. And uh, in order to, to be able to do things like that, you got to have goals and you got to have them written down so you can hold yourself accountable. Yeah, that, that's cool. That What was that book called again? Wealth Can't Wait. Wealth Can't Wait. What's, yeah. uh, you mentioned your uh, like perfect year for your family. So do you incorporate your wife into some of these goals? Do you guys talk about all that together as well? Or Absolutely, man. So nice. me, so, so with me and Ryan, we obviously have this thing called champion tribe that I mentioned to you before, before we started recording, but in champion tribe, we don't want to win in one aspect of our lives. Like we don't, we feel like if we're winning in one thing, but lacking in another, 
like then we're not really winning. We should be trying to win in every aspect. So we have five things. We have our families, right? Finances, uh, foundation, which is like our giving. How much do we give? Um, our faith and then fitness. So those are our like five Fs that we kind of go by. So for me, I want to be able to take my wife on 24 dates a year. Mm. You know, for me, I want to be able to go on four vacations with my wife. I want to go on two family vacations with everybody. Um, financially, I, I said I wanted to make $624,000 this year. Well, I already crushed that goal. So now I'm saying, well, you know, maybe I'll go for $750,000. Um, that's my, that's my new goal. Right. So then my other thing is, Hey, I want to work out at least two times a week. I know I'm traveling so much, so, but I can get two times a weekend. Faith wise. I want to, uh, read my Bible and pray every single day, uh, start a new Bible plan every single week and try to crush one. Even if it's a three day Bible plan, it takes me a week. I still want to want to get after it and try it. And then, uh, lastly giving, I say, I want to give $2,500 a month, at least at the bare minimum, um, whether it's tithing, whether it's um, you know just giving to different nonprofits, I'm usually around the three to four thousand dollar range is what I'm given. Um, but that's like what I personally have for my five Fs. And in Champion Trap, everybody's got their own. Ryan mm. wakes up and runs like five miles every day. I'm never doing that. You yeah. know what I'm saying? <laughs> but I, I just don't want to get skinny fat. That's my thing. <laughs> for sure. That's my fitness. Um, you know, some people say I want to I want to save a hundred dollars a month. Like I'm grinding to save a hundred bucks a month. Like I, that is my financial. And so that everybody's is different, but we're there to hold each other accountable and say, hey, you know, when you say your family is 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 one of the things you're you're lacking in with your Fs, then you know, once you hit your, your whatever it may be, why don't you make sure you go on those vacations? The biggest reason why I started this is because my wife wanted to go on a week long Disney cruise. It's a week long, right? Week long Disney cruise and I'm working my behind off. And we always say it's for our families, right? And I said, let's do it. Let's go. Where do you want to go? Disney cruise. It doesn't matter how much it costs. Let's do it, baby. Let's go. With the kids, it's going to be great. I talked to my assistant and she's like, well, Chris, you don't have a week the whole year that you can go. I was like, what do you mean you don't have a week I can I can go? She's like, well, you don't have a week the whole year where you're not speaking or you're not out of town doing an appearance. You don't have a week. I said, I'm, I'm failing my family for my five Fs, right? I'm, my family's failing. If I can't go on a week-long Disney cruise on my, my sons as they turn five and one turns one, then I'm failing. Like, I'm not winning in every aspect of my life. So uh, now I'm going to start first of the year. I'm booking my vacations for my family the first of the year. And those dates are in bold red. So we can't move those or swap those out. I said, unless I get like a $50,000 gig, then me and my wife will talk about it. (laughs) But other than that, man, those are just solidified and stapled on my calendar. Yeah. So you break, do you break down the goals uh, based on those five categories? I mean, is there anything like outside or they all stick to those five F's right there? So I write up, I write up the perfect gear, which kind of is outside of that, those five goals. Right. So another thing for me with my perfect gear is like, or my goals, I should say, is I, I want to have a specific type of car, right? So I bought the car that I really, really wanted. Um, as far as Christmas gifts, I love Christmas. So there's so many different things I write down, like, tangibly that are, like, monetary things, I guess, Yeah. on the goal board. So I kind of vision those things happening for me and my family. Um, but it's also just becoming the complete human being. And I feel like if I'm, you know, excelling in all five of those things, and I feel like I'm complete. In, yeah. in my sense of what complete looks like. Yeah. And I like you said your sense. I mean, like you said, the $100 a month example that you just used a second ago about the champion's drive, like 
everyone's got their own opinion or own desire of what success means sure. to them. So I think that's yeah. Cool. And the grass is never greener, man. Like the grass is never greener. I heard this uh this quote that said, um, I forgot who said it, so I don't want to miss say it. I, I'll just paraphrase it. Uh, basically, they were saying, we always think that the grass is greener on the other side until you get to the other side, right? And so, you know, it was stressful when you had, you know, a hundred bucks in your savings account. It's stressful when you have a million and you don't want to blow it because it's not yours. It's for your kids or your grandkids or whatever it may be. It's, and I thought about that, like, man, I really am the same stressed, I feel, you know, as I was when I didn't really have any financial gain, but um, the grass is never greener for sure. Yeah. It's funny that you say that. Cause like the other day I was like complaining to my wife because I had some commission checks get on pause until next month. And I was like, Oh, we're only saving like X amount this month. And she, I was like pissed about it. And she's like, if you would have said you were saving this amount two years ago, you would be freaking out as like ecstatic, <laughs> happy. And now you're complaining about it. And I was like, yeah. So it's like interesting how your perspective changes as you grow too, you know? Absolutely. And you see what's possible too, man. Exposure yeah. is everything for me. Like, you know, I don't really, I didn't really see a ton of young black speakers on like the speaking circuit um, until I met this guy, Inky Johnson and Inky Johnson has become a mentor of mine. And he texts me literally this morning and just knowing him and seeing what's possible is huge. And so he, like he says, every new level uh, that you, that you achieve or acquire requires a new level of you. And so that kind of happens in every sense of our lives. Yeah. And I, I'm glad you brought up Inky because I remember you told me that y'all worked together um, when we went to the, the mastermind group. I've been following him for like two, three years, man. Badass story, as you know. So how did y'all end up like getting connected and everything? Because he's obviously like a huge name in the industry to be connected with. So, Dude, man, he he is my favorite speaker. He's been my favorite speaker for the last six years. I told him this and he, you know, he's so humble. But I said, dude, you're the reason why I started speaking, man. You're the reason why I watched his video. He, you know, I remember word for it. He's like, I grew up in a two bedroom home with 14 people. He's like, I used to get to sleep in the bed one time out of the week. It was th six of us in the bed, three at the foot and three at the head of the bed. And I remember him saying stuff like that. And I could just vividly picture that. And I was going through such a terrible time losing my mom and losing my dad. And I was like, Chris, what am I, I was like, what am I going to do with my life? Like, I didn't understand what can I do to get through this pain that I was going through to show my brother and sister that we can still be okay after going through all we went through. And I'm seeing that video and just seeing how he still inspired people and how he still overcame. I'm like, man, I, I want to do that for people. And sure enough, that's what I'm doing now. So we spoke at an event together uh, in Michigan and uh, we spoke at two events together and I told the meeting planner, I said, Hey, I know you're paying me and stuff, but, I want to meet Inky. Like that's that's more than worth that's worth more than the payment you're giving me. And so they connected us, and we've been we've been cool ever since, man. He's a great dude. Yeah, and I like how you mentioned he's humble too. Like especially with all the success he's had. So definitely, man. And that's very very. That I wouldn't say that's uh, rare, but he's the same guy on the outside and inside. Um, and that's something that's just refreshing to see, bro. Yeah. Do you think like athletes have like a bigger ego per se, just because they're obviously like the top of the top in their like physique, their class and all that or what? Well, you know what, Chris, I think it's two things. Um, one thing is some people have to tell themselves they have to be that egotistical person to be able to get to the to where they're at athletically mm. or with their sport. So in baseball, some people are always always like, ah, man, this pitcher sucks, man. He's not even good. He's not good. Like I'm I'm so much better than him. 
and and in actuality, it's like, dude, this guy's throwing 97 with sync. Like, this guy's really, really good. He's throwing 97 miles an hour, and he has an 87 mile an hour slider. Like, this guy's legit. But some people have to psych themselves up, right? They have to have that egotistical thing to say, oh, he can't be better than me. I can still, you know, that's how, that's how some people have to do to win. And so I wasn't like that, right? I was like, this guy's good. <laughs> um, and then also athletes don't really, it's hard to trust people as an athlete just because it's like almost everybody's out to get you when you're Aaron Judge. I remember one time I was riding in the, in the car with somebody who was an athlete, his name is Dylan Batances, and he's a big league pitcher for the Yankees at the time. And there was a kid asking for his autograph and he wouldn't do it. And I was basically like, dude, why aren't you signing this guy's autograph? Like, are you a jerk or something, you know? And he was like, hey, this kid does that every single day, but it's not for him. It's for his dad. His dad sells him online. And I was like, whoa. You know, wow. just me thinking like, dude, sign the kid's autograph. Athletes always always thinking there's somebody out to get them. So you're right when you're saying they got to have this edge or this different type of thinking. I never even like thought of that. I, I've never, it's like someone doesn't have an autograph. I had the same mindset as you. I'm like, man, like that's kind of a jerk move, but I'm like, don't even think about the other side of it, you know? Yeah. And the fact that he knew, like he knew the kid, he knew the kid's dad just like reaffirmed that like, okay, so this kid's a regular asking for every person's autograph multiple times a day. So his dad can sell them on eBay. Yeah. Like that's messed up, you know? Yeah. 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 That's funny. So uh, you, you have two kids now, right? I think you said. I do, man. Yeah, I got two two little guys. Nice. Uh, so, w- what are some just like, I guess, father lessons that you've learned? I mean, you said f- five year old and a one year old, right? Yeah, my man's about to be five, and the other one's about to be one. But some fatherly things I've learned, man. Um, number one, my kids just love when I'm home, right? So for me, I tr- I've been on the road 150 days, you know, out of the year for the last like year and a half. Um, and so for me, cutting that number down and bringing them with me is a big thing. My son, there's a quote from like the, this organization called the Hunter Black Men, right? Hunter Black Men. It says, what they see is what they will be. Mm. And so my son, he says he wants to be a speaker, you know, and, and most kids don't even know what that is, like a speaker. But he see me speak to his school. He see me read to his school. He sees, you know, me get dressed up in a nice blazer and and uh, you know, shirt, and he's like, "Hey, this is what a speaker looks like." And so, he wants to do what I what I do. Plus, when he gets to travel with me, he gets to go to like Sea World and all these cool places. So he just thinks it's that much fun all the time. But I guess just setting a good example. That's what I've done with my brother and sister. You know, I'm on my soapbox all the time because I want them to do well for our parents to say, "Hey, mom and dad aren't here anymore, but you know, we're their legacy now. So how are you? How are you? You know, treating that? Hopefully, you're doing well with what they left us um, in wisdom." And so, yeah, I think for me, just leading by example is big. And then um, I'm very affectionate too, like the hugging, you know, kiss him on the cheek and the forehead and read to him and stuff like that. So I'm very affectionate with him too, just because I feel like I got that as a kid and it helped me out for sure. Yeah, that's cool, man. So is that the can't let moms down? Have you always had that uh, hashtag? Yeah, man, I've had that since I lost my mom. So um you know, ever since I lost her, everything I do is to make her proud. Yeah. When people see me, hopefully they say, you know, man, that guy Chris Singleton on Chris's podcast was a great guy, man. Like, I want to learn more about him. He's raised the right way. And so when I hear those words, raised the right way, I feel like, man, I'm definitely making my mom proud. Yeah, um, for sure. And I love that hashtag, too. I mean, I see it on every single one of your posts. Like, it, the consistency yeah. is so real with it. I love it. 
No doubt. Um, so with legacy, I've heard you talk about that. I think it was an Instagram story or post you made about your last name, carrying your legacy, the importance of that. Um, can you, can you talk about that for a second? Cause I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah, man. You know, I'm gonna go super deep with it. You know, I feel like number one, um, you know, my, you know, ancestors were slaves, right. And so they may have just last name was given to us. Mm. Um, I don't even know what the, the name was of, you know, my family back in Africa, um, which would be cool to learn about that. That'd be pretty neat. Yeah. Um, but also, I always think when you leave something, you got to leave it better than when you found it. And so hopefully my mom and dad, you know, they, they had the Singleton last name after my mom and dad got married and you know, they lived well and they did great things and people remember them. And for me, it's like, hey, when I die one day because I don't know if it's, you know, in 10 years or hopefully it's in 70 years. I don't know. But when I die, I want people to say, man, like this guy was a great human being in every aspect of his life. I don't want to just say he was a great businessman. I don't want to just say, you know, oh, he was a great father. Yeah, that's cool. But was he able to provide for other people as well? Right. Was he able to give back? Was he able to, you know, share his faith and be open and lead people to the cross. Like those, those are things I want people to say about me whenever I'm no longer here on this earth. And so living like that now, I have to, because as a man who lost his parents before they were 50, at 26, I don't know how much longer I got. I hope I can live till I'm, you know, 80, but I don't know. And so every day I'm trying to win in all five aspects. Yeah. And you never know. I mean, sad. You never know if it could be, you know, 10 minutes, 10 years, hundred years. Uh, so living every day, like your last and being present too, like you were talking about, you know, putting the phone down, being with your kids, your wife, all that stuff's so important. Yeah. Which is a big thing for me, man, because, you know, being a, the guy that I am, it's like, I want to help everybody. And so the phone off is actually one of my goals that I had yesterday. Um, I said phone off for three hours, quality time with the family. I probably made it like an hour and a half. <laughs> it was hey, so you're halfway hard. there. <laughs> but I'm working towards it, man. That's why I got people holding me accountable. Yeah, that's funny. Now you know, like, if someone texts you and they're like, damn, you said your phone was going to be off. It said delivered <laughs> on the iMessage. <laughs> that's funny. Exactly, um, so I've, uh, I saw you post on Instagram about real estate and everything. So do you have, um, how many properties are you at now? I feel like it's, it's a good amount. Yeah, I'm at 15 right now. So I've got 15 properties. Um, cash flow on about 10,000 in net cash flow to me and my family every month. Nice. That's awesome. By the way. I mean, that, I just read rich dad, poor dad for like the fourth time. Obviously cash flow is, is super important. Um, did you, so you mentioned Inky was your mentor from a, a speaker standpoint. Did you have a mentor from, from a real estate standpoint or how did you kind of learn the, the grind on that? Yeah, man, I think you know, number one, I used to be a, a, a units guy. I used to say I wanted to have 25 units by 25. That was my thing. Like, if I could do that, I'm the man. It sounded good, right? And I met a guy, um, actually, his name is Matt O'Neill, who's a real estate guy here in Charleston, who does, you know, pretty well for himself. He's got a brokerage down here. And he was like, Chris, it's not about the number of doors, man. You could have 50 doors right now if you wanted to, and you make, you know, 300 bucks in cash flow a month. Like, that's not the goal, man. The goal is to, is cash flow. Uh, passive cash flow at that. So um, he was a mentor. I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, like every, I feel like everybody should, Everyone. especially yeah. if they want to be in real estate um, or in finance. Um, read that. I read, uh, or the Bigger Pockets podcast is mm -hmm. what I hammered on. Bigger Pockets is a real estate podcast, real estate investing podcast. 
And there's there's probably like 600 episodes. And I started at like one, I just looked through the dopest ones. And I just like listened as a student, I, I wrote down notes. And then in 2018, I just took a leap of faith and said, hey, I'm gonna buy this duplex. And it went well. Anything you, any, anybody that bought like before like 2020 is like, hey, I did well, you know? Yeah. So um, yeah, so I think uh, things have been going well, but I just, I want to keep it up, but I'm, I want to be strategic with it to make sure that, uh, you know, I'm never over leveraging myself. And, you know, for me, I, I'm really big on the cash flow numbers. So I could probably have more units, but uh, I'm, I'm pretty conservative when it comes to, to, to that kind of stuff. Yeah. And you're not going crazy with like overstretch. I like that. Cause I mean, I feel like that's when some things can start to diminish a bit if you're just too stretched, you know? Yeah, the same guy that I wrote, I wrote, uh, read the book Wealth Can't Wait. I can't remember his name, but he's the like second highest franchisee owner for Keller Williams. I know that. Mm. Um, and so um, this guy, he basically keeps uh, 40%, no, 60% equity in all his deals, right? So he keeps 60% equity in all his houses and he's 40% leverage in everything. And that's kind of, you know, more than conservative route. Um, but he does it because it allows him to sleep well at night. And uh, that's when I, when I when I read that, I was like, dude, this guy's worth hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars. He could be probably a billionaire, but he sleeps well at night with a $300 million net worth. Like, that's not a bad thing. Yeah. And I'd rather sleep, you know, sleep well and be rich than, you know, crying and be rich. Right. Exactly, man. For sure. Yeah. Um, last thing I want to ask you about is... Uh, you're, you coach people to really craft their story and speech, right? I think I heard, uh, was it principal story application? I think yeah, is what man. I've heard. Yeah. So can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, man. So uh, this is called the speaker's huddle. So I call it a huddle because I like make myself available for anybody. Um, and so it's basically a course that I created online where people want to become a speaker. Um, there's two different things you can mark. You can market yourself really good as a speaker or you can have a great speech which markets itself for you. And so last year I did about 121 gigs. Um, well, not about, I did 121 gigs and uh, all those were inbound leads because I craft a keynote in a way that uh, is gonna get people to, to, to go market for me. And so I kind of teach how, I formula, how I, the formula behind that principal story application, what does that look like for their story and their message? And then uh, how to position yourself as a professional speaker, right? Because you don't want to say public speaker, you're a professional speaker. Public speakers are like the lawyers, the, you know, the mayor, um, you know, the police chief. Those are public speakers, but they're not professional speakers. And if you want to be, you know, and where I am or where Inky is, that's like a professional speaker. Um, and so I'm not on the, you know, some guys are doing 50 grand, 100 grand every single talk. I'm definitely not there. Um, but I'm definitely doing pretty well for myself as far as, you know, on the 1% of the country financially, just from being able to share my story in a way that people enjoy. Yeah. How, how do you keep your like humility? I mean, obviously like you're, we're both relatively, I think the same age or what you're, I'm 26. Are you 26? Yeah, as I'm well? 26. Yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned obviously like your financial, uh, goals that you've reached this year. Like, how are you staying humble with all that? Cause that's, that's obviously an amazing number right there. So yeah, no doubt, man. I think number one, I realize I have a go. I have a rule too. If anybody is listening that has been around me when this happens, they can, you know, fact check this. But I don't pass somebody that's homeless without giving them something. Whether it's a water bottle, whether it's twenty five cents in my, you know, glove compartment, or a twenty dollar bill, like I did two days ago when I was speaking to this electric company. But the reason why I give is because 
I'm one tragedy away from being homeless. I wholeheartedly mm. believe that. My house got foreclosed on when I lost my mom when she was killed, you know? So mm. car got repossessed. And so like if my son gets cancer or something, I'm selling everything. I'll have nothing. I'll make zero dollars and be with my son every single day right next to him in his bed. So like I never feel, I don't feel weird talking about money because I'm not shady with money. You know, I don't, I don't need from anybody. I just, God has blessed me with the things I have. So I think that's one of the reasons why I'm super open and, and uh, humble with it. You know, I'm able to give, I think good people should have money because you're able to do good things with it. So I think that's probably why I'm so open with it about it. Yeah, no, that's awesome, man. Um, thanks. Thanks for breaking that down. Appreciate that. Um, I think uh, I got some advice one time that was uh, basically saying you should spend one third of your life learning one third of it, earning one third of it, serving. And that could be through giving uh, through volunteering. So uh, I just wanted to know how you were staying humble throughout throughout the, the success and everything you've had. So thanks for breaking that down. Yeah, bro, for sure, man. Absolutely. Um, Cool, man. Well, this was kind of all I wanted to go over with you. I think we kind of chopped it up on a solid conversation too. Um, I got amped up talking about the goals and, and making sure that they're under the, you know, the faith foundation, family, fitness, and finances. Those are the five, right? Yeah, man. You crushed cool. it. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, anyway, where, where can people connect with you? I know a lot of people listen actually already know about you. Um, but if there's someone who, who hasn't really heard much of you and they're like, man, that Chris guy was nailing in some points uh, where can they connect with you and everything? Yeah, man, I would say go to championstribe.win uh, if you want to learn more about our community because I, I wholeheartedly believe this is the coolest thing I've ever created, more than my books, more than like me speaking. Like, I love this because I'm in it too. Like, it's not like I'm leading this. I'm, I'm in the tribe as well. Like, I need to get better. Um, championstribe.win is that website, not .com, .win. Uh, and then chrissingleton.com. You can go there. All my social medias are, are verified. C Singleton underscore two is where you can find me. Cool. Awesome, man. Well, hey, thank you so much for uh, for being on the show. And I uh, really appreciate the time spent today. All right, man. God bless you. Thanks. Well, that's it, everyone. Thanks again for taking the time to tune in to this week's episode of Next Level Minds. Be sure to connect with Chris Singleton on the various social media avenues that he mentioned. And other than that, I hope everyone has a fantastic week ahead. <laughs>